Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks, with more than 85,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is Bossy Pants by comedian Tina Fey. Fey's story is a great example of a woman who goes after what she wants and gets it, albeit with pitfalls and humor along the way. That's Bossy Pants, available from Audible. To try Audible free today and get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash momstuff. That's audiblepodcast.com slash momstuff. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, I love what we're about to talk about. We are about to talk about spy ladies on TV. And I I wanted to cover this topic because there was a recent article on Slate asking why there are so many women spies on television. But I also hold this topic near and dear to my heart because I currently, on my shelf at home, have every single DVD of um, USA's La Femme Nikita sitting there. And I'm watched and loved. I had no idea about the secret love of La Femme Nikita. Well, there's all this stuff you don't know about me, Kristen. Romance novels. Romance novels. (laughs) La Femme Nikita. It goes on and on. But so much. I want to talk about why spy ladies are so intriguing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, first, we should probably back up and talk about the spy genre in general and how it got its start and how it inspired so much film and TV and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, the spy genre uh, kicks off, not surprisingly, really with Ian Fleming, who created the James Bond Figure and Dr. No, the first James Bond movie premiered in 1962, which really kicked off the spy craze. And, um, the, the peak of the spy, the early spy craze is from 1962 to 1973. But it wasn't just serious spies right. like James Bond. Right. Yeah. It kind of, it took a turn after a little while once the, once the spy craze emerged. Uh, there started being slightly less serious, maybe kind of buddy comedies, buddy comedy type spy shows. And then there were parodies. Oh, yeah. And it, and it keeps kind of, of circulating like that. I feel like, um, now we've kind of, now we've kind of gotten back more to the serious, mm-hmm. the serious spies. Although there was that movie remake of Get Smart with Steve Carell. So, so it's, it's cycling around. It comes, it comes and goes. Yeah. Um, but we're really here to talk about the women in these, uh, in these spy films, and especially women in spy shows, spy shows on television. Right. Well, you mentioned the, the dawn of the spy craze, mm-hmm. which is in the sixties and seventies. And Tom Lasanti and Lewis Paul investigated this period. Um, they have a book called Femme Fatale, film, not, not femme, film, 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 film fatale. Oh, a little play on words. I know, indeed. That's why I tripped over it. <laughs> Women in espionage films and television from 1952 to 1973. And they broke down the four types of women that most frequently occurred in these shows and movies. Now, keep in mind, this was before we had the butt-kicking women of today, mm-hmm. like like Nikita and like uh, Piper Parabo's character on Covert Affairs. Um, so their breakdown was with the following four women. 
Number one, we have the helpful spy slash secret agent slash operative. She supports the hero, uh, the quote unquote hero, because mm-hmm. the women aren't heroes yet. Um, and sometimes pays for it with her life. Oh. Oh. Then we have the innocent, who's usually a civilian who inadvertently stumbles into the action, is mistaken for a spy, has secret information the enemy is after, or has revenge on her mind. I feel like this would be me. I would <laughs> accidentally stumble into something really like, oh, hey guys, this is a party? <laughs> oh, oh no, 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 it's the mafia. <laughs> no, this reminds me, that innocent trope reminds me of Scarecrow and Mrs. King. It reminds me of the Mrs. King character. It was a... Gonger family favorite. Okay, I uh, is what I don't know what that is. She was this. Uh, she was just like a an innocent, you know. And then she's got Scarecrow, this handsome guy <laughs> who happens to also be a secret agent and has to protect her. But really, the whole spy thing is just. Um, a framework for their budding romance, right? As it often is in some of these oh, yes. movies. Yeah. Okay, well, we also have the bad girl turned good. She's usually assigned to kill the hero, but after seducing him, they end up joining forces. And she typically ends up being killed, either by her former bad guy boss or by the hero himself. And that probably happened in quite a lot of James Bond movies. Yeah, seduction. The sexy seductress is overwhelmed by oxytocin once they (laughs) have intercourse and the bonding ensues and then she dies. Right. God, I hate when that happens. And then, last but not least, we have the villainous slash femme fatale slash assassin who, according to these two gentlemen, is pure evil. Yes. And she is sometimes a double agent. So she's a double crosser and she's trying to outwit the hero. And, of course, she fails and she dies. So They always die. I like how all of these, like, so she's really good and she dies. But she's evil and she dies. <laughs> it just It just happens. So, yeah. Anyway. Uh, and one, there was a quote too, uh, in the film Fatale that I thought, uh, summed up that period really nicely. Uh, they wrote, and this is in relation to the, the spy agent craze from 62 to 73. They write, without the women to allure, entice, seduce, and sometimes destroy our heroes, where would the entertainment be? For the most part, women in the spy genre were used as mere window dressing, but decked in some of the most outrageously mod fashions and hairstyles of the 60s. It was hard to keep, hard to keep your eyes off of them, no matter how absurd the plot. So even though the w- women were often second tier to these handsome action male spies, they were necessary to drive the plot arc. Exactly. And, and add a little eye candy. Sure thing. Now, let's get a little more serious. Yes. Break it down. Um, Rosie White wrote a book called Violent Femmes. Another, another play. Yeah. Like, yeah. All these people are going crazy. Clever yeah. writers. Uh, women as spies in popular culture. And she writes a lot about, uh, femininity mm-hmm. and masculinity and how spying and being undercover sort of plays into our gender roles and how s- female spies are supposedly, you know, they're playing on really feminine traits of like, uh, deception and using their charm and beauty, you know, just stereotypical. They're like the eaves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, um, more masculine traits of, of like the action hero mm-hmm. and being brave and getting in on the action and all that stuff. And, um, she says that spying is an appropriate trope to employ when discussing gender as femininity, like masculinity is always undercover. And, you know, female spies are allowed to be violent, which goes against the whole stereotypical understanding of what it is to be feminine. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of the commentary on 
the evolution of female spies in television and in popular culture um, relates back to this um, this gendered argument and basically says that you can sort of use that evolution to track social changes mm-hmm. among uh, women's roles in the workforce and just in their daily lives as well. Sort of the tracking the empowerment of, right. of women over the years. Yeah. And they talk, there's definitely a moving away from the seductress, the femme fatale, mm-hmm. the villainous to the good female spy, quote unquote, and the new woman who is often, um, she's killing for the right reasons, for her government, for her country, for her agency, whatever underground secret thing it might be, or the CIA or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever that particular show is using. But, um, yeah, this new woman, uh, white rights is rarely depicted as maternal and she's more often situated within the professional workplace. So it's a woman going to work mm-hmm. and work just happens to be a secret spy agency, which is super cool, which means that it's really handy for TV shows to have these uh, these spy characters because they can just do whatever they want. Yeah. Because one day she could be at Langley the next day or the next hour. I don't know. She could be in. China. Right. Or if they still use Berlin. the Concorde. Yes. She could so easily be in China. In an hour. <laughs> because that's spy technology. You can't also can't argue with spy technology. Right. If it doesn't make sense, it doesn't matter. It's for spies. Yeah, I just watched the Goonies last night and uh you know that one kid has oil that comes out of his shoes. Mm-hmm. I mean they might have something like that, but rockets come out of their shoes. Yeah, and you can get to China in an hour. Yeah. Thanks to that. And they're always pretty well dressed, but at the same time it seems like too. There's a lot of conflict in their personal life. Mm-hmm. You know, they're really busy and they're obviously like well educated and smart and can shape shift and speak different languages. But when shape shift, <laughs> but when the when the mission is over, all they have is a cat to feed. Oh, dang. That's like uh, <laughs> Batman with Catwoman. She's not a spy, but she comes home to her cats. Anyway, that's not, that's off topic. But it made me think, I kind of had my own, own theory about mm-hmm. all this, sort of riffing off what Rosie White was writing about in Violent Femmes, is that it's also this whole spy genre, as it applies to women, is also kind of, I don't know, a, a, a vehicle for talking about that whole women can have it all conflict. Mm-hmm. Of having like the, the killer cool job and the jet setting and everything like that. But there always seems to be some kind of, some missing piece. Right. In these characters' lives. Unless you're Cinnamon Carter for Mission Impossible and she just keeps it cool all the time. Does she? Oh yeah. Never seen it. Mission Impossible 1966 premieres. That's when during that first spy craze, when things kind of shifted back to from the farce with Get Smart, which came out in uh, 1965, back to Mission Impossible. Oh, man, I watched a lot of Mission Impossible on TV land and it's good stuff. Yeah, I I have a much more limited experience with spy characters. I pretty much was was La Femme Nikita all the way. And I really haven't, I haven't identified with a new spy. My sister-in-law, I got her into La Femme Nikita and then she started watching Alias and she tried to get me into it. She's like, it's just like La Femme Nikita. And some, apparently some, some of the characters came over, like the woman, if any of you out there watch La Femme Nikita, the woman who played Madeline was also on the show. And then I think she was also on 24 because a lot of the La Femme Nikita, La Femme Nikita people went over to 24 anyway. I think, do you have a secret fan blog? From Nikita? Uh, no, but I did used to have a GeoCities website. Sorry, you can't find it. GeoCities got blown up by the internet. Um, where I talked a lot about it. 
Man, it wasn't exactly why a fan sign. It still exists. I don't know. I lost a whole piece of my life when that happened. <laughs> but I feel like we do need to go back before La Femme Nikita mm-hmm. to those early 60s female spies, especially the ones in the Avengers, mm-hmm. who not only um, brought about the, uh, the whole female spy in a cat suit. Uh-huh. When, when we had to start wearing leather cat suits. Yeah, because to... obviously it's so easy to move around in an entire leather bodysuit. <laughs> and it's breathable, I'm sure. <laughs> Clearly no sweating. Um, <laughs> but a lot of these, uh, com- commentators, but a lot of these writers attribute Emma Peel, Modesty Blaze, and Mrs. Emily Polifax for really changing the narrative for female spies on television because they were, a lot more serious. And yes, they were attractive and stylish and mod, but they were getting the job done. Yeah. And they were emerging as real protagonists and heroes Mm -hmm. rather than just being like the Bond girls emerging from the surf in bikinis. Right. Halle Berry. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so Emma Peel, her character was brilliant, known for her cat suit. And that show, The Avengers, was 1961 to 1969. I've had a pretty good run. And while The Avengers was set in the UK, we had Get Smart, which was the American, uh, which was an American setting with Agent 99. Mm-hmm. And I have this vivid memory of watching an episode of Get Smart and Agent 99 played by Barbara Feldon is trapped in this telephone booth <laughs> and she's wearing a diamond ring. She's like, what am I going to do? I'm stuck in this booth. Oh, yeah, I'm wearing a diamond. Diamond stronger than glass. So she cuts herself out of... Oh, it was a, it was a sitcom. I'm covering, I'm covering my, my headphones because I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to hear the sound of that. But she cuts herself out of it. And, and that's when I learned that diamonds can really get you out of a jam. Educational programming. Unless it's a blood diamond. Oh yeah, we don't want to mess with that. That's yeah. a whole other podcast. But yeah, she was she was protecting the gentleman on the show mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time. Yeah, she had to sort of rescue him from himself because he was kind of bumbling. He was such a goof. <laughs> what a goof. Um, yeah, and then if if we're going chronologically, we had La Femme Nikita with Nikita played by Peter Wilson. That show ran from ninety seven to two thousand one. Uh, we have Alias, which is right after that, which, uh, Jennifer Garner played Sydney Bristow from 2001 to 2006. And what I thought was interesting was that there's this quote by J.J. Abrams, who was the creator of Felicity. Mm-hmm. And he said that he would have loved to make a show. This was pre-alias, obviously. He would love to make a show where Felicity was a spy. And so here she is, like this innocent little college girl in love with, torn between these two guys, Ben and Noel. Yeah. yeah. Ben and Noel. And, you know, how fun would it be if she, like, went off and had spy adventures that her boyfriends didn't know about? Felicity well, would not be able to keep that secret. No, she wouldn't. But Jennifer Garner co-starred one season on Felicity as Noel's, like, former flame. And ended up marrying Noel briefly in real life. In real life. Ben Affleck. Indeed. We're putting together so all many. the pieces of this Spy So many pieces mystery. that almost sort of fit together. Um, but yeah, so I thought that was cool. Like he yeah. had it in his mind that he wanted to make this spy show with this like sweet college girl. And he ends up making a show, Alias, where a girl who has just, woman, woman, who has just graduated college or grad school or something is recruited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, she kicks butt. Yeah. And wears wigs and stuff. And it's uh, on from 2001 to 2006. So yeah, in the early 2000s, that's when it seems like we have this. A uh, real shift in the number of leading female spies on television. And I believe it's Rosie White who attributes 
that to um, the earlier shows, including Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which yeah. came out, it was on from 97 to 2003, so there's some overlap. But shows like Xena, Buffy, um, even the remake of Charlie's Angel, she says, and Laura Croft, the Tomb Raider's character, helped uh, fuel this new female action hero that then possibly bled into this female spy genre. Right, and Buffy is and was so incredibly popular. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know I watched pretty much every episode until it got kind of silly towards the end. Like she got a sister that she didn't have before. Oh, be careful. We got a lot of, I know, I know not, there. not to insult. Maybe I just outgrew it. I don't know. But, um, yeah. So there's like this whole slew of butt kicking ladies. And, and meanwhile, <laughs> I was just watching Felicity. God, I love, <laughs> Hey, don't, I loved Felicity. I watched that too. I did too. Yeah. I, I was just thinking the other day that I would, I would watch all of that on Netflix again, if it were available. I don't know if it is. I, you know, well, not that I have time, but if I did. Anyway, so now, nowadays, we have Covert Affairs starring Piper Perabo as Annie Walker. And she is, is super undercover. Like, she's the traditional thing we think of when we think of a spy. Like, she works for the CIA. None of her friends and family know that she's a oh. spy. Yeah, they just know she has this job, like, whatever, doing whatever, working for the government, maybe. But, yeah, she actually has to lie about being a spy. And, and there's all these rules for her life. Like, she's very structured. She can't date foreigners and... You know, all sorts of stuff like that. But she she has great hair, meanwhile. She always looks very sharp in her suit. That's the thing with all of this. uh, I actually ran across a Marie Claire article that was uh, how to dress like a a spy. Because they're always, (laughs) female spies are always so well-dressed on television. Exactly, like Nikita, which um, we'll get back to. (laughs) I can't can't go much longer without talking about her. Uh, And then we've got to mention Sarah Walker, the character in Chuck. It's been on since 2007, and she kind of falls under that helpful spy mm-hmm. operative because she has to um, she has to protect the bumbling hero, right? Just like Agent 99. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a show that's actually gotten a ton of positive attention in the media, which is Homeland, starring mm-hmm. Claire Danes as Carrie Matheson, and that that just started this season on Showtime, I believe. And her character suspects that a recovered prisoner of war is an Al-Qaeda operative. And so she's trying to prove all this stuff. Meanwhile, she has bipolar disorder, Mm -hmm. but she can't take medicine for it because if it gets out that she's taking medicine, then she could compromise her credibility and all this stuff. Okay, so we're talking about, um, you know, femininity masculine traits, being a spy, being undercover, being tough Mm -hmm. and beautiful and, you know, having it all. And um, what's interesting is a look at taking a look at Nikita, uh, particularly Peter Wilson's character, because that's what I know everything about. Um, Anyway, um, she was taken straight out of jail, taken off the streets and taught how to be a proper, quote unquote, proper woman Mm -hmm. because she was this really rough, like punky street urchin type girl who was falsely accused of murdering a police officer. So she's in jail. She's going to be executed. And, uh, they, they somehow get her out of jail and she wakes up in this like cell and she is trained how to be a killing machine, but she has the character of Madeline teaching her how to be like proper. Cause you know, she's, she's really rough. She's Mm kind of rough around the edges. She's taught how to like do her hair, do her makeup, wear a sexy dress, charm, you know, lie if she needs to. Um, but yeah, then she's also taught how to totally kill politicians and, you know, world leaders and whatnot. So it's, it's interesting that the, um, the dichotomy 
And similarly, uh, Rosie White from the Violent Femmes, well, from the book, not, <laughs> not the band, um, writes about Sydney Bristow from Alias that she represents the new woman in the 21st century economies of white collar labor. Uh, she writes, she's fetishized as a femme fatale, an active woman who kills, yet also occupies the role of central protagonist and moral touchstone. Right. Yeah. Cause, um, both of them are, are sort of, thrown into these situations. Mm-hmm. And like Nikita, she is, she's a, a tool of this agency. So, we, you know, we had kind of talked about like the right, killing for the right reasons earlier. Mm-hmm. So she's a tool of this international agency that's meant to kill bad guys and stuff. But she maintains her sensitivity in that she's like, oh my God, I can't just kill all these random people. And so she's sort of fighting back against that. And she maintains her whole, the whole show, she's struggling to maintain her humanity mm-hmm. and remain sort of, you know, a woman underneath all of this, like, really tough killing machine stuff. So, and I think the same is true for Sydney. Um, she was recruited into a, a secret organization. She finds out that they're actually some bad guys, some of the bad guys, and she goes to the CIA with this information. And it turns out that her father is also in the secret organization. <sighs> and, but they're both, do- they both become double agents, or her father's already a double agent or whatever. And they both come from, like, really shadowy backgrounds. Nikita doesn't know her mother, hasn't seen her mother since she was a child. And Sydney thought her mother was dead or something, and her mother's actually a Russian spy. That's a, That seems like another commonality, is a strained relationship with one or both parental figures. Yeah. Or just like the the hero of mythology or, or any story across cultures, you mm-hmm. know, the hero comes from shadowy backgrounds to come up through the ranks and combat the status quo and save the day. Yeah. And perhaps uh, challenge gendered stereotypes. <laughs> In this case, you yes. Know? Who knew? I'm getting all worked up about, about Nikita. I'm going to have to watch them. I just, I will loan you all of the seasons. Please do. <laughs> Use a new show. Um, well, I know that we haven't talked about all of the, uh, all the female spy characters on TV by any stretch of the imagination, but we just highlighted some of those leading ladies. And I'll be really curious to see, um, just from listeners, what, what women that we did not mention and shows that we really did not, um, didn't highlight if they have a take on that. And also why other people, um, think that there are so many female spies on television. Yeah. Do you enjoy watching them more or less than male spies? Mm-hmm. You know, do you like watching the ladies kick butt? Yeah. Cause another contrast to, um, a lot of leading male spies, a lot of times they are typically either they're, they're motivated because of some love. Some mm-hmm. long-term, like, woman who's either been lost or is haunting in, in some mm-hmm. kind of way. And it seems like a lot of times with the female spies, they're more remo- uh, romantically detached. Exactly, because if you look at the Michael character in La Femme Nikita, mm-hmm. he had this great love that he lost, and he's, like, dead inside, so he might as well be a killing machine. And then Nikita reawakens him. So whereas <sighs> women are often portrayed as these honeypots, these... These spy seductresses, mm-hmm. in reality, perhaps, you know, men are the emotionally more vulnerable. Yeah, they're, they're a little damaged, so they kill people. Mm, interesting. So much to think about. Yeah. Well, uh, let us know what you think about female spies on television. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And we got a couple emails here to share. 
Alrighty, this is from Kevin about our romance novel podcast. I heard you guys comment about amnesia-related romance novels, and it reminded me of my friend Lara Krigger's deconstruction of the Harlequin romance novel Pregnasia. Wow. No, I'm not making that up. I wish I were. If you want to laugh, here's a link to the summary of Lara live tweeting the book while she read it. The plot is dot, 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 special. <laughs> and if you want to read that, go to storify.com. Pregnasia. That's incredible. Uh, I've got an email here also about romance novels, and this is coming from Mallory, who's been reading romance for about seven years and is critically studying it in college. Uh, she says her master's thesis was on gender ideology and romance novel heroines who cross-dress. Hmm. She writes, please don't subscribe to the idea that romance is full of heroines who are too stupid to live or who serve as shells for the reader. There are plenty of smart, funny, and high-achieving romance novel heroines. Don't sell the genre short. Women who read romance have to defend their reading habits both on gender and class fronts, and the genre itself tends to be pretty self-reflective. Romance, for the most part, is written by women, for women, and about women, and that may be why women in particular find it so enjoyable to read. There aren't many sources of pop, pop culture that put women as the heroes of their own stories, except maybe female spies. Dun, 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 dun. So with that... MomStuffAtHowStuffWorks.com is the email. Find us on Facebook as well and follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And you can check out our blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You at HowStuffWorks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 85,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. To try Audible free today and get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash momstuff. That's audiblepodcast.com slash momstuff. The House of Forks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?